You're listening to a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. We hope you'll find it to be spiritually edifying. Let us now listen to the Word of God as that comes to us first in the Old Testament, Deuteronomy 29. After that, we will listen to God's Word from the New Testament in Acts chapter 2. Here in Deuteronomy 29, beginning at verse 16, we read God's Word, which our Lord Jesus Christ has fulfilled. You yourselves know how we lived in Egypt and how we passed through the countries on the way there. This is Moses speaking to the people of Israel before his death and before their entrance into the promised land. You saw among them their detestable images and idols of wood and stone, of silver and gold, Make sure there is no man or woman, clan or tribe among you today whose heart turns away from the Lord our God to go and worship the gods of those nations. Make sure there is no root among you that produces such bitter poison. When such a person hears the words of this oath, he invokes a blessing on himself and therefore thinks, I will be safe even though I persist in going my own way. This will bring disaster on the watered land as well as the dry. The Lord will never be willing to forgive him. His wrath and zeal will burn against that man. All the curses written in this book will fall upon him, and the Lord will blot out his name from under heaven. The Lord will single him out from all the tribes of Israel for disaster, according to all the curses of the covenant written in this book of the law. Your children who follow you in the later generations and foreigners who come from distant lands will see the calamities that have fallen on the land and the diseases with which the Lord has afflicted it. The whole land will be a burning waste of salt and sulfur, nothing planted, nothing sprouting, no vegetation growing on it. It will be like the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah, Adma and Zeboim, which the Lord overthrew in fierce anger. All the nations will ask, Why has the Lord done this to this land? Why this fierce, burning anger? And the answer will be, It is because this people abandoned the covenant of the Lord, the God of their fathers, the covenant He made with them when He brought them out of Egypt. They went off and worshipped other gods, and bowed down to them, gods they did not know, gods He had not given them. Therefore, the Lord's anger burned against this land, so that he brought on it all the curses written in this book. In furious anger and in great wrath, the Lord uprooted them from their land and thrust them into another land, as it is now. The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things revealed belong to us and to our children forever, that we may follow all the words of this law. Now we turn to Acts. We begin reading at verse 29 of chapter 2. We begin reading partway through the account of Peter's sermon on the day of Pentecost. Brothers, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried and his tomb is here to this day. 
But he was a prophet and knew that God had promised him on oath that he would place one of his descendants on his throne. Seeing what was ahead, he spoke of the resurrection of, of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to the grave, nor did his body see decay. God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of the fact. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. For David did not ascend to heaven, and yet he said, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other, and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words he warned them, and he pleaded with them, Save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. This afternoon we give our attention to our confession in Lord's Day 8 concerning the Holy Trinity. We'll read that together now. How are these articles divided? That is, the articles of the Apostles' Creed, which you find at the end of Lord's Day 7. How are these articles divided into three parts? The first is about God the Father and our creation. The second, about God the Son and our redemption. The third, about God the Holy Spirit and our sanctification. Since there is only one God, why do you speak of three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? Because God has so revealed Himself in His Word that these three distinct persons are the one true eternal God. Brothers and sisters of our Lord Jesus Christ, we just read in the Athanasian Creed that the Trinity is something that you must believe in order to be saved. You must believe that there is one God, that this one God exists in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You must believe that in order to be saved. You must believe that there are three persons in the Trinity and yet there is but one God. You must believe that to be saved. Now perhaps the language of the Athanasian Creed seems somewhat foreign to us. And yet, in a way it's so simple and so straightforward, something that we can all understand. But if the formulation of the Athanasian Creed demonstrates anything, it certainly demonstrates the seriousness with which the church has always guarded this doctrine, doctrine concerning the person of God. This should 
be no less serious an undertaking for us, brothers and sisters, in the third millennium. For our sake, for our children's sake, to use those words of Moses in Deuteronomy 29, we need to treasure this doctrine, this beautiful doctrine, about who our God is, what He is like. And the first thing that we want to see this afternoon is that God wants us to believe this doctrine. There's no question that the doctrine of the Trinity is difficult for us to grasp. We're touching on truly a a great mystery, aren't we, when we speak of the triune God. How can God be three and one at the same time? And how can each of the three persons of the Trinity have their own distinct identity and yet be one? How can the Father send the Son into the world? And how can the Son send the Holy Spirit into our hearts? Well, remaining one God. How could Jesus die and yet remain the living God who always has life? These are the kinds of questions that we wrestle with, that we ask ourselves and one another. And all such questions make it a challenge for us to believe this doctrine. And they make it a challenge for us to convince others of this doctrine. Jehovah's Witnesses who come to our door. Mormons might be our neighbors. Jews. Muslims who live around us. And yet, God wants us to believe it. How do we know? Because God has revealed Himself this way in the Bible, like Lord's Day 8 plainly says. Because God has so revealed Himself in His Word. Answer 25. Remember what we read in Deuteronomy 29. Right at the end of the Scripture reading in Deuteronomy 29, we read there, the secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things revealed belong to us and to our children forever, that we may follow all the words of the law. The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things revealed belong to us and our children. The doctrine of the Trinity has been revealed to us in Holy Scripture, and therefore it belongs to us, it belongs even to our children, and we must treasure it. We must follow all the words of the Scripture also concerning the Trinity. Yes, the mystery behind the Trinity belongs to the Lord, The secret things belong to the Lord our God, as Moses says. But the wondrous reality of the Trinity, God has revealed to us and our kids. Even as we will see, the wondrous experience of the Trinity belongs to us and our children. Indeed, nowhere is the reality 
of the Holy Trinity clearer than in our own baptisms which you witnessed again this morning. When the minister at our baptism said, I baptize you into the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, then God was telling us, this is who I am. And I, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, am your God. Children, that's what the Lord said to you when you were baptized. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, I claim you. I'm your God. And this is how I want you to know me. No, brothers and sisters, children, teenagers, you and I cannot understand the mystery of the Trinity. We cannot. But God Himself, by laying His hand upon us and claiming us at baptism, at our birth, grants us the experience of the Trinity. We can't grasp the, the, the mystery of the Trinity, but we can experience the wonder of the Trinity through the experience of baptism. He helps us to get to know Himself as the triune God. And then, after we've been baptized, you heard it in the form this morning too, children need to be instructed in this doctrine. Children need to be told about this triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. They need to be told who their Father is. God Himself. They need to be told about their Savior who has delivered them from all their sins and to whom they must flee to be saved. And they need to learn about the Holy Spirit whom Jesus has promised to put in their hearts and to guide them into the truth. In this way, we can, now we cannot understand the Trinity. We cannot understand how it is that Father, Son, and Holy Spirit exist together as one God, but we can experience it. We can know it. So it's clear that God wants us to believe that He is the triune God. That's very clear in our baptisms. It's very clear in the Scriptures that He wants us to know Him this way, as He is. But He also helps us to believe this. He helps us to believe that as one God, He exists as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And how does He do this? He does this by working faith in our hearts. By granting us faith, God helps us to step outside of the world of our physical senses of touching and tasting and seeing and doing math and into the world of divine mystery. We can only do that by faith, can't we, brothers and sisters? Only by faith we can believe that God is three yet one. Like Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, we live by faith, not 
by sight. By faith, by the faith with which God grants us, God helps us to see the three-in-one God who dwells in unapproachable light. What is the support and basis for our faith but God's own Word? Through His Word, God helps us to see Him as He really is. He helps us to see Him as He really is, both in the Old and in the New Testaments. Yes, God has revealed Himself as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Not just in the New Testament, but already in the Old. Now, brothers and sisters, there have been two tendencies in the history of the church with respect to the doctrine of the triune God. One tendency has been to say that the three-in-one God is not found in the Old Testament at all. In other words, there was a tendency in the history of the church to say, well, if you read just the Old Testament, there's no way you can figure out that God is one and yet exists as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That has been the one tendency. But there has been another tendency as well in church history. That strain, that thread, says the three-in-one God is completely revealed in the Old Testament. If you read the Old Testament, it will be obvious to you that God exists as one, yet in three persons. Now, brothers and sisters, if we would start our survey in Genesis and end in Revelation, one thing would become pretty clear. The doctrine of the Trinity is easier to discern in the New Testament than in the Old Testament. That is pretty obvious. Imagine for a moment entering a room that you've never been in before. And this room is dimly lit. As you enter the room, you, you see that it's a very beautiful room. It has beautiful curtains, beautiful paintings on the wall beautiful couches and chairs, nice fireplace. But it's dimly lit. Yes, you can tell that it's a very beautiful room, but you can't yet fully appreciate or discern its beauty until the light is turned on. Well, if the Old Testament is the dimly lit room, then the New Testament is the same room with the lights on. To use the terminology of the Apostle Paul in Colossians 2, the Old Testament presents the shadow of the things that were to come. Only in the New Testament, when Christ is fully revealed, is everything brought out into the full light. And that's how it is with the Trinity too. In the Old Testament, 
Perhaps we only see a faint outline. Yes, we can see God's beauty. We can see that He is a great God, that He is a wonderful God, that He is a loving God, a compassionate God. But we can only see the faint outlines of the Trinity. Yes, we know that God is a Father from the Old Testament. We know that. It's all over the Old Testament that He's a Father who loves His children, who cares for His children. And yes, from the Old Testament, we even know that God is going to send a Redeemer. We know of that from places like Job 19 where Job says, remember, I know that my Redeemer lives. Psalm 19 talks about my Redeemer, my Savior. In the prophecy of Isaiah chapter 43, God says, apart from me, there is no Savior. So in the Old Testament, we discern that there's, that God is a Father. We discern that God is a Savior. We also hear about God's Spirit. Psalm 51, for example, where David prays that God will not take His Holy Spirit from him. But then, in the New Testament, the lights are switched on. In the New Testament, when Jesus, the light, appears, everything is brought out into the full glorious light. And we can see ever so clearly, more clearly than ever before, how the Father sent His Son, Jesus Christ, into the world. And we can see, as we could never see before, the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, when we hear Christ sending His disciples to baptize in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And then, Pentecost comes. And we see how the Holy Spirit whom Christ had sent, whom Christ had spoken about in in the Gospel according to John, how the, how the Holy Spirit whom He promised is actually visibly poured out onto the church as in flames of fire, as in tongues of fire. See, brothers and sisters, that's why we speak about the history of Revelation. God didn't reveal everything about Himself in one breath. God didn't reveal everything there was to know about Himself immediately in paradise. Oh God, in His infinite wisdom, chose to take time to reveal Himself to His people and to the world. Paul tells us in Galatians 4, verse 4, when the time had fully come, God sent His Son. Paul writes in 1 Timothy 2, verse 6, Christ gave Himself as a ransom for all men at the proper time. In His good time, God revealed with crystal clarity that He is one God and that He exists as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. 
We've seen how God wants us to believe in the Trinity. He's revealed it to us. Especially in our baptism that He is to us, to you and me. He is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And that He wants to be our God and that He wants us to know Him that way. We've also seen how God helps us to believe the Trinity by granting us faith in what He has revealed in His Word in the Old and New Testaments. He not only brings us into the dimly lit room of the Old Testament, but He also turns the light on for us, so to speak, in the New Testament. We also need to see this afternoon that we need to believe this in order to be saved. Remember what we read in Deuteronomy 29. Deuteronomy 29, verse 18. Make sure there is no man or woman, clan or tribe among you today whose heart turns away from the Lord our God to go and worship the gods of those nations. Make sure there is no root among you that produces such bitterness. That is the bitter root, by the way, which the Apostle Paul talks about in the New Testament. The bitter root of unbelief. The bitter root of turning away from the one true God. You see, brothers and sisters, if we do not know God as He has revealed Himself, as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, what will happen? It's like the Israelites were warned not to do. We'll start following other gods. The consequence of that will be that God's anger will burn against us. You see, that's why we insist. We insist. As the Christian church, we insist over against Muslims, over against Mormons, over against Jehovah's Witnesses and other pagans. We insist that the doctrine of the Trinity is essential for people to be saved. It is necessary for people to know God as He is. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Most religions would agree. Most religious people would agree that, yes, you need to believe in God. Yes, of course, they would say, we agree with you. What does the Bible teach? The Bible teaches that the only way to God is Jesus Christ. Acts 4, verse 12. Salvation is found in no one else. And there is no other name given under heaven by which we can be saved. But the name of Jesus Christ we must know. Jesus Christ, the second person of the Trinity. Remember what the Lord Jesus says in John 14, no one comes to the Father but through me. 
The only way we can know the Father is through Jesus Christ. The only way we can come to the Father is through Jesus Christ. And how can we come to know Jesus, the second person of the Trinity? Only by His Spirit. Only by the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity. John says in John 3, verse 5, we must be born of the Spirit. We cannot be saved without the Holy Spirit. We cannot come to know the Father and the Son if the Holy Spirit doesn't work that knowledge in our hearts. The Holy Spirit doesn't open our hearts and open our eyes. Then we do not know God as He really is. And that's why, as we read in Acts 2, that's why Peter urged his hearers on on the day of Pentecost to be baptized into the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. First, he referred to the Holy Spirit in Acts 2, verse 33, in his sermon. He says, exalted to the right hand of God, We'll start at verse 32. God has raised this Jesus to life and we are all witnesses of the fact. Exalted to the right hand of God, He has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. Pentecost sermon was really a sermon also on the Trinity. Thereafter, Peter urged his hearers to be baptized into the name of the triune God. It's indispensable for salvation. We must believe the triune God. We must be baptized into His name. The Athanasian Creed is correct, brothers and sisters. Unless you believe this doctrine, You will not be saved. God wants you to believe it. If you ever doubt that, remember your baptism. God wants you to believe it. God helps you to by granting you faith and by working this faith in your heart by the Word in the Old and New Testaments. No, brothers and sisters, this isn't just an old, tired doctrine. This is the doctrine of life. We need to believe in order to live forever. You need to believe it to be saved. You need to believe Father, Son, and Holy Spirit Brothers and sisters, when you do, most assuredly, you will be saved and you will have eternal life. Amen. This has been a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. For more information, please visit us on the web at www.langleycanrc.org.